The train wasn't any harder than it had been in the morning, and I wasn't really that tired. So I couldn't quite understand what was going on until I sat down for a bit of a water break and then realized what had happened. I am the only person to have walked in space and gone to the deepest point in the ocean. Hi, I'm Kathy Sullivan, and I'm an explorer. Exploring doesn't always have to involve going to some remote or exotic place. It simply requires your commitment to put curiosity into action. So join me on this podcast journey as I reflect on lessons learned from life so far and from my brilliant and ever inquisitive guests. We'll explore together in this very moment from right where you are. Spaceship not required. Welcome to Kathy Sullivan Explores. Before we take off, I have a gift for you. I believe that no matter where you are today, an active thirst for knowledge will help unlock your ability to live a life of meaning and happiness. So I'm sharing some lessons I've learned on my road less traveled. Over at KathySullivanExplores.com, you'll find my seven astronaut tips to improving your life on Earth. When you sign up, I'll send them to you and also make sure you're the first to discover future podcast episodes and learn more about exciting adventures ahead. Just head on over to KathySullivanExplores.com. You've no doubt heard the adage, there's no such thing as bad weather, just poor equipment. I've lived the truth of it many times. And the strangest such experience left me hunting all over London for a pair of sturdy hiking boots I really couldn't afford on my starving student budget. But my saga started in Iceland. The year was 1974. That's a significant detail in this story. I had just finished my first year of PhD studies. My thesis advisor had been invited to present his work at an invitation-only conference in Reykjavik that was featuring all the headline names in marine geology and plate tectonics at the time. All men, of course, and all people whose names were in the textbooks and scientific journal articles that I'd been reading for years. So my prof didn't want to go. He was building a sailboat and wanted to stay home and do that. But he knew that I loved Iceland and was eager to get back there, so he suggested I take his place. And even though I hadn't done any real science on my own yet and didn't know the work he had done, he figured I could put together a talk summarizing all the work he'd done on several island volcanoes over the last several years. It seemed an easy yes when I started, which turned out to not be quite the case, but off I went. A week in Iceland hearing from the leading lights in my field about the latest work that I wanted to get into, I couldn't pass it up, and yes, it was a free ticket back to Iceland, which was already a favorite place. As happy as I was, I jumped up another level to full ecstasy when I saw all the field trips that were included in the conference program. Notably, one to Heime, the island just south of Iceland where there had been a major eruption in January of 1973. I had followed that saga of the Heime eruption back home at my university in California. The eruption started early in the morning, around 2 a.m. on January 23rd, along a fissure on the east side of the island that eventually grew to some three miles long. The island's entire population of 5,300 people were evacuated in a number of hours to protect them from the super hot lava and the huge volumes of volcanic ash and gases that were in the area. And all the cattle, 
pigs and sheep on the island were slaughtered, lest they suffer an even worse fate. Lava continued to flow from the vent on the southern end of the fissure for weeks. The flows moved mostly north and east, destroying some 400 homes on the eastern side of town and, more importantly, threatening to seal off the harbor entrance to the north. This would be disaster for a fishing-centered economy. The Icelanders mustered help from the French and from Americans who brought in huge pumps, and they prevented the lava flow from closing off the harbor literally by spraying vast amounts of water on the front of it, try to cool down the front of the flow before it could move any further north. They were pumping like 300 gallons per second at the peak. So cooling it, slowing it down, an extraordinary scale of effort, something like almost 8 million gallons of water in all. But it saved the harbor. So back in California, as we watched all this on TV and followed it in the newspapers and got in-depth stories from National Geographic, it was candy for this budding geologist. And so now I'm off to Iceland, although I'm sort of intimidated at the thought of presenting my first ever scientific paper to such an audience, I'm also excited about climbing on the planet's newest volcano. And so off we went at the end of the formal meeting out to Heimei and spent a full day hiking around the lava flows and climbing up the now dormant cinder cone called Eldfell, Fire Mountain. That's what had formed around the southern end of the fissure. Our guides warned us as we walked over the lava flow to be careful and watch out for jets of steam or hot gases that were still coming out of the cracks in the flow and to test the temperature of the surface before we sat down on anything. Because although the top of the lava flow was cool enough to be really sturdy, easy and safe for us to walk on, they said that just a couple of feet below the surface, the rock was still around 900 degrees Fahrenheit. You didn't want to singe your pants off. I gotta tell you, it was a long, tiring day, trekking across the rugged lava flows up to the top of Eldfell, big long traverse around the eastern side, always up and down steep, blocky slopes. And I noticed after a while in the afternoon, I was, suddenly felt I was feeling really unsure of my footing. Uh, the train wasn't any harder than it had been in the morning, and I wasn't really that tired, so I couldn't quite understand what was going on until I sat down for a bit of a water break and then realized what had happened. The soles of my boots were actually melting off. I was wearing the very first pair of field boots I had ever bought. I'd had them all through undergraduate. They were cheap and now very old. And about a year before, I had worn the sole down so completely that it had no tread left. I found that you could get it resold, however, which would save me the bundle of money I didn't have to buy new boots. So I took it to a shoe shop, and they sawed off about half of the original sole and glued a new lugged sole with a good tread onto the boot. That's what I was wearing as I climbed all over those still warm lava flows in Jaime that day. And what I was seeing now was proof that the rocks were still pretty hot because the heat had melted the glue on my boots. The front half of the sole on each foot was flapping as I walked and sometimes catching on things which is why I was beginning to feel like a tripping fall waiting to happen. None of that would have mattered if I was heading straight back to Nova Scotia after the conference. 
I was going on to the Azores, a group of islands in the Atlantic, about 800 miles west of Lisbon. The idea was to explore the volcanoes there and test the idea I had at the time for my PhD research project. I couldn't do that with half-flappy boots. And so that's how this young, budding geologist ended up sitting in a shoe shop in London, being fitted for a pair of boots that I really didn't have the money for. Needless to say, I lived on very meager rations and the friendliness of locals in the Azores. But I did survive and really seriously learned the good equipment lesson. Thanks so much for joining me on today's mission. For more solo shows and deep dives with incredible guests, along with all the ways to get the podcast and much more, head over to kathysullivanexplores.com.